Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is The Morning Shift. Here's a riddle. What's both a million miles away and right around the corner? The 2020 elections, of course. So after two days of putting their heads together, leaders of the Cook County Democratic Party made their picks late last week for candidates to support in the 2020 elections. Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox, Circuit Court Clerk candidate Michael Cabanarchi, and Illinois Supreme Court candidate Scott Neville were among the few who snagged the party's endorsements. Kristen Schorsch is WBEZ's Cook County reporter. She explains why these endorsements come out so early. Election season pretty much begins, so to speak, right after Labor Day. So it's really coming up. That's because that's when people can start circulating petitions to get their names on the ballot. And this can be a very exhaustive process. For Democrats, they need about 7,000 signatures, and Republicans need about 2,000 or so. That's based on the total number of people who voted for each party in the last general election. So you've got a lot of signatures to get, and getting the endorsement to the party, which brings this little small army to help you do it and money, is a really good get. Well, and talk about how much of a game changer that party endorsement is. It's branding. So think about the typical voter. If they're just looking to say, look, I just want to vote for the Democrats or I just want to vote for the Republicans. If they have the endorsement of the Democratic Party, for example, they could just say, hey, look, well, I'm going to just go with the person that they slated. At the same time, though, it's not just a clear path to victory. Um, Think about Tony Preckwinkle, for example, or Cook County Board President. She is the chairperson of the Cook County Democratic Party. And when she ran for Chicago mayor earlier this year in the runoff, she didn't get one single award. She lost all 50. So that doesn't exactly say, hey, this is a slam dunk um, if I'm associated with the party. And then you said money and, and some foot soldiers come along with this endorsement. Explain that a little bit more. Right. So when you get the endorsement of the Cook County Democratic Party, they help you circulate those petitions to get on the ballot. They give you some money. Uh, they also, you know, put your name and photo on mailings that go to voters. Um, they do robocalls on your behalf. It's a lot of extra help um, besides you and maybe depending on who else is helping you run for office. Well, let's look at some of the party's picks. The party is supporting Kim Fox for Cook County State's attorney. She is facing some competition. Who is she running against in this yeah. race? Well, one of the people so far is Bill Conway. He is a former assistant state's attorney with Cook County. Um, he's a naval intelligence officer. And his father is a co-founder of one of the largest private equity firms. So far, they already, him and his father, have put half a million dollars into his campaign fund. And so he is one of the potentially big challengers for Kim Fox. She's faced a lot of headway with this uh, Jesse Smollett case. People are not happy with the fact that her office dropped charges and the way they handled that. The Chicago Police Union has come out against her and so have several suburban police chiefs um, having a no confidence vote. So she could struggle in that sense. That's WBEZ Cook County reporter Kristen Schorsch. And we're talking about the Cook County Democratic Party's nominations. They were announced last week. Uh, There's another race I want to look at, and that's for Cook County Circuit Clerk. Uh, Current clerk Dorothy Brown announced last week that she's not running for re-election. First, remind us what the clerk does. 
Yep. So think of everything that goes through the, the court system here, the justice system for Cook County. Class action lawsuits, criminal cases. The circuit court clerk holds all the records for that. So they're the gatekeeper for making sure that everything is on track if you need to get your court file. Dorothy Brown has been the clerk for almost 20 years. She's had a controversial reign, so to speak. She has been criticized for kind of the old school way that she runs the office. Lots of paper records versus digital age. Um, The federal court system is all online. It's called PACER. And so, right, she says she's not running again, which really has made this race even more intense. There are so far five Democrats running. And um, the person who got the party's uh, nomination endorsement the other day was Michael Kevin Argy. And, and tell us more about him. So he is a commissioner on the Cook County Board of Review. They review property tax appeals. It's an avenue you can go if you think your property taxes are too high. Um, he's been on that board, I believe, since 2011. He's also a former SEC prosecutor, used to investigate, litigate uh, Ponzi schemes, insider trading. He has gotten in trouble in the past for other people also on the Board of Review for taking too much in can- contributions to his campaign fund from property tax attorneys. So that could be an issue in this race. Other races you're keeping an eye on? I always think it's really interesting the number of judges that people are going to be voting for. How are they going to choose? What's going to come up before them? We still have a long way to go before the primary, which is in March. That's WBEZ Cook County reporter Kristen Shorsch. Kristen, thanks. Sure. Thank you. Now let's turn to election security. The U.S. intelligence agencies have uniformly said that Russia interfered with the 2016 election via social media platforms from Facebook to YouTube, posting comments and content designed to divide and inflame American voters. Since then, Facebook changed its rules around political advertising, but those changes have caused a whole new set of problems for non-political organizations, including the Chicago Board of Elections Commissioners. A.J. Vicens is a reporter at Mother Jones. He's got a piece out called Very Badly Managed, Inside Chicago's Elections Officials' Battle with Facebook. In a bit, Vicens explains exactly what's going on with our local elections, but he begins by describing the changes Facebook made starting back in 2017. So what Facebook did was try to create a system that had a bit more accountability, and essentially anybody running... Um, an ad or a or a boosted post in, in the case of Chicago would have to sort of identify themselves and verify their identity with Facebook before they could pay to uh, promote an ad to various populations. And, and the idea was to offer users a, a chance to check to see who was paying for the ads that were appearing in their news feeds. Now, your story centers around how those changes inadvertently caused some very big problems here in Chicago, specifically around efforts to promote early voting. Take us back to the lead up to the 2018 midterms. What happened? They were just basically trying to say, you know, for instance, here's some early voting locations, or here are some things that are happening in terms of elections in the city of Chicago. And when the ad gets boosted or the page gets boosted, um, Facebook pulls it down and says, you can't do this without essentially acknowledging that this is a political ad. And uh, Jim and others in the office felt like this was bringing them right up to the edge of the line that's set forth in the uh, in the city's uh, ethics policy when it comes to providing money for political operations. 
And you write that the Chicago Board of Elections and Jim Allen, its spokesperson, continued to have problems with Facebook during the Chicago municipal election cycle, which, of course, gave us uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. But I'm curious about the worst that could happen if these types of problems happen on the national level leading up to the 2020 presidential election. Well, I think the biggest concern that came out of this episode was the situation where a page, uh, a group was essentially putting up a page that had the same name and same logo as the Chicago Board of Election Commissioners. Jim says that they didn't, he didn't see anything nefarious going on on this page, but nonetheless, it was not their page. And perhaps a user could have seen content on that page and taken that as information from the city. Now, when they told Facebook about this situation, it took more than 30 days to pull this page down. And Jim is worried about the fact that what happens if somebody does this in a very key place, uh, you know, 20 days before an election or 15 days? Uh, Facebook's policy in this case, or their actions, I should say, were, were a bit slow. And that window there is very concerning to election administrators. Well, and the Chicago Board of Elections was also being impersonated on Twitter. Um, when they reached out to Twitter, what happened? According to Jim and, and the other folks in the office, the Twitter pulled the account down almost immediately. Um, so certainly Twitter is not perfect itself, but uh, in that particular case, they responded much more quickly and uh, more directly. In the case of Chicago's situation with the page, Jim had to reach out twice just to get a response. And even then, it was very lacking and it took a very long time in their minds. I mean, election information is very important and very specific and uh, the fact that they had to push that hard to get the page pulled down or addressed is concerning. AJ, what about county level or city organizations like the Chicago Board of Elections compared with state level organizations? Are the smaller groups having more trouble here? Well, it, it's hard to tell, really. Um, the original idea for this story came from a source who deals with um, folks in a lot of different levels. And it's hard to know how widespread this problem is, but Facebook said in the in the emails back and forth with Chicago that everybody has to go by these rules, and they re, they acknowledge that these rules are not you know a legal definition of political content or political speech, but they are overbroad in a sense that they are trying to prevent uh, this the scenario that played out ahead of 2016 with with the Russian operation, and so. You know, it's not perfect policy and, and they're learning as they go, but it's just how it is, they said. And one of the things that Jim pointed out in our conversations was that, you know, the city of Chicago is, is a big player in the election space, one of the biggest in the country. Imagine how it is for, uh, you know, some of these smaller jurisdictions. Most of the voting jurisdictions in this country serve much smaller populations than the city of Chicago and deal with things on a much smaller scale, much smaller staff, um, much less resources. So if it was this hard for the city of Chicago to deal with this, imagine what it's like for some of these smaller places. Now, as part of your reporting, you you spoke with Alex Stamos. He's Facebook's former chief security officer. Why did you want to speak with him and what did you learn? Well, I think it's important to speak to Alex because Alex headed up the investigation into what happened um, on Facebook's platform uh, as part of the Russian operation. Alex didn't speak specifically to the situation in Chicago because he wasn't there when this happened. But he said, generally speaking, people need to be realistic about how hard it is for uh, a platform like Facebook to address these issues. I mean, as uh, Vice News Motherboard pointed out uh, last fall, Facebook has 2 billion users 
posting billions of posts per day in more than 100 languages, um, and their human moderators are asked to review more than 10 million posts per week. Uh, so they have to set up filters and, and automatic ways, to, or I should say automated ways, to address uh, you know keywords and other things. And it's not going to be perfect. And, and uh, Alex's point was, look, Facebook is trying in the absence of action from the federal level on how to regulate political speech on social media platforms, Facebook has to step in and try to do it themselves. And were you able to get a sense of how many people are actually taking on this task? Mark Zuckerberg, the, the CEO and founder of Facebook, has said you know, when he's been grilled in front of Congress that they've hired thousands of people to handle security issues in general and, and moderation issues. And so they are investing in a big way in this problem um, – and in, in the problem of, you know, problematic content more generally, but it, it's hard to know exactly how many people deal with election-specific and, and political content. But Facebook insists that they're spending, you know, a lot of time and money on this. It's crazy to think about it, but the Iowa caucuses are, are less than six months away. What has Facebook said about what it will do in the lead-up to the November 2020 presidential election? Well, Facebook says they're investing a lot of time and energy into this. They say they have a channel set up for elections folks to report problems. I did find that it's it's hard for actual election folks, uh, administrators, I should say, specifically to access this line. But the email traffic that with the city of Chicago shows that when election folks do raise issues with uh, Facebook, they do get an answer generally in a couple of days. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen with that imposter page uh, as quickly as Jim would have liked. But Facebook says it's trying to be responsive to people as quickly as it can. Uh, they have regional uh, sort of uh, folks that deal with regions of the country, um, and they're trying to be on top of it as, as much as they can be. Uh, given the scale of at which they're operating. I'm going to briefly touch on other social media platforms, Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, of course, Twitter, YouTube, which is operated by Google. How much Russian interference happened on those platforms in 2016? Uh, it wasn't quite at the scale uh, as Facebook directly, the, the actual Facebook platform, because Facebook is the biggest player in the space. But there was a significant amount on both Instagram and, and uh, less so on Twitter because le- Twitter is just smaller. And uh, Google hasn't exactly acknowledged how much happened on its platform, but it's certainly a problem across the board. And, you know, really it's any Internet platform can host, you know, this type of information operation. That's one of the things that made it so successful. And are those companies doing as much as Facebook is at this point to try to counteract the interference? You know, it's hard to say. Facebook is the one under the glare because they're the big dog on the street. And so they've been uh, under the spotlight, so to say. Um, and so it's really hard to say. So what will you be following? At Mother Jones, we focus a lot on election security and voting rights in general and election administration. And so we're going to be paying attention to how the social media platforms handle all sorts of issues, uh, you know, disinformation, um, you know, issues like this that are that are more you know, minute, but they offer a window into a bigger problem, all of it. We are uh, paying attention to these platforms uh, very seriously. That's A.J. Vicens, a reporter at Mother Jones. A.J., thanks. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for listening to the show. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a rating. It helps other people find us. Another great way to get in touch is by leaving us a voicemail. You can give us a call with any feedback you have. Leave us a message at 888-915-9945. That's 888-915-9945. I'm Jen White. Let's talk again soon. If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerd App Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerd App wherever you get your podcasts.